Whatever that story is, whatever that conversation you're trying to change amongst your competition in your category, the more you can focus on that one thing, the tighter all of your branding, design, and messaging will be. What's up, ladies and gents? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Food Marketing Nerds. Today, we've got Fred Hart back on the podcast talking branding and industry trends. We had Fred on the show back at episode number 30, and if you haven't listened to that one yet, it is one of our most popular episodes, and we talked all about honing your brand strategy, so I would definitely recommend going to check that one out. Fred is a partner and creative director of Interact, which is one of the most sought-after packaging and design firms, and they're based out of my home state of Colorado, so bonus points. Part of Fred's job as creative director is keeping a pulse on the industry and really how to leverage that knowledge to set brands up for the future. Fred and his team recently returned from the Fancy Food Show in New York, and they're doing a little bit of that intel. And on the show today, we're going to talk about what interesting categories and trends they saw popping up at the show. We also discussed how Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods could have a huge impact on packaging design, what steps you can take to get your brand strategy buttoned up, and plenty more. Fred's a rock star in the industry and has plenty to teach us all in his approach to keying in on trends. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Fred, welcome back to Food Marketing Nerds. Happy to be here. Just got back from uh, New York City, so good to be back in Colorado. Yeah, looking forward to, to chatting a little bit more about Fancy Food Show, but first I saw that you got got named 30 under 30 for CPG Packaging Design, so congrats. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, it's so funny you should mention that. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, you know Brand Packaging Magazine, a great kind of industry publication, just happened to you know, name me as one of those uh, those top thirty rising stars under thirty. So super fortunate. I think it's uh, it goes without saying that it took a village to get me to that place, and I owe a lot of credit to my amazing team, both on the account side and the creative side. I'm certainly not a one man band, and I'm fortunate to be a face for what Interact does. Well, congrats once again. That's quite the honor. So going back to fancy foods. For our listeners who aren't really familiar with what Fancy Food Show is, can you just give a, a quick rundown and then uh, kind of want to dive into to what you saw, what, what kind of trends you started to see emerging and, and different design things going on? Yeah, absolutely. So Fancy Foods is a great specialty food show that happens twice a year. The summer's always in New York and the winter's always in San Francisco. They've been around for a long time and it's a pretty decently trafficked show. I think there were 20,000 people, attendees at the show, if you will. I'm not sure how many brands, but it certainly was in the thousands. And it, it, it's really interesting because you have kind of the old world of specialty. So you have a lot of these import products. You're talking meats, charcuterie, chocolate, you know, all, all of these kind of really gourmet things. And then in the last, I'd say probably 10 years, there's really been this infusion of the natural world coming into specialty and helping remake it. So the show is kind of broken out into two floors. The top floor is a lot more of the traditional specialty food world, a lot of the bigger brands, importers. And then downstairs is a lot of the new brands and where there's this really reawakening of the specialty food space. And that's interesting. And how long were you in New York for? Three days. So the show started on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And boy, did we walk a lot. I'd say we probably averaged five miles just walking the show every day. Yeah, it's pretty solid getting the steps in. <laughs> Absolutely. Got to wear some comfortable shoes. So these kinds of these kinds of shows are a great place for for different brands to unveil, whether it's 
new products, new packaging designs, whatever it is. So d- did you see anything that really caught your eye as far as new packaging or branding went? Yeah, there were there are a number of companies that use these trade shows as milestones, whether that's for the retailers or for consumer engagement. They're they're really uh, utilizing that stage to showcase something new. And so because we really only work in the food and beverage industry, we probably had, I think, 12 different clients there. And I'd say at least eight of them were debuting a new product or part of the portfolio, which meant we were doing new packaging for them. So selfishly, I'll talk about one of our clients, uh, One Culture Foods. What they're doing is really cool. They're basically recreating the cup of noodle experience. So you think about this like, you know, college day meal, pennies on the dollar to buy, cheap food. And Hanson, this amazing entrepreneur, is really taking it to a high end. So he is doing these noodle cups, noodles that have never been fried. It has a bone broth reduction packet inside, seasoning, and um, just really high quality stuff. And he was actually voted as one of the top five most innovative products at the fancy food show. So you know, I'm not just, you know, trying to toot one of our clients' horns. So that was that was pretty awesome. And then, um, you know, there are a no- number of other brands. Sap, sort of a tree water drink, had a redesign, a lot of new product extensions. I'd have to take a second and comb through some of the photos. There's, there's hundreds, but there are a lot of great new products at the show. And um, for our listeners, Fred actually sent over a Dropbox link of, of a bunch of the great pictures that they took of different branding, different products at the show. So we'll definitely link that up in the show notes so you can go take a look if you weren't able to attend the show. So of the innovative products that you were seeing, were you able to identify any interesting or, or new potential trends that uh, that are maybe raising, kind of bubbling to the surface uh, just as far as the, the category goes in general? Yeah, so my business partner, Blake Mitchell, who travels around the world and does a lot of insight stuff as well, we talked a lot just both during the show and post-show about what we were seeing. And for us, there are kind of five noteworthy trends that are really bubbling to the surface. One of the first ones is the American palate is finally finding its taste buds. <laughs> and what we mean by that is, you know, we tend to have this reputation of having a very bland palate, a meat and potatoes kind of thing. And at this show, there was this huge infusion of both Indian and Korean flavors. So there were two kimchi brands, Mothers-in-Law and Mama O's, the two really great kimchi brands that were also doing sauces. There was One Culture Foods, one of our clients who does these amazing ethnic Asian uh, sauces. So like a goji jang, a fermented black bean. And then uh, there were numerous types of uh, Indian flavors, whether that's through a snack product, through sauces, chutneys, even nuts. And I think it's just really interesting to see kind of Sriracha 2.0 really take fold and people getting really interested in the different levels of spices. You know, there was the uh, ghost pepper challenge that became infamous on the the web earlier this year. And you're continuing to see people get really interested in tantalizing flavors that really excite the palate and even give people a little bit of sweat. Ghost pepper challenge sounds terrible. Yeah, it's not too bad. There was one brand, Pipcorn, which was famous several years ago for getting funding through Shark Tank, and they're doing really well, and they're based in New York, and they have this Death Valley popcorn flavor that they're kind of doing, which is uh, charcoal-activated popcorn with ghost pepper flavor, 
and really cool combination. But that's one kind of a really interesting example of like, you know, that coming to the popcorn category where popcorn as a product is really just a, a canvas for flavor. And they're, they're starting to do some pretty cool things. Yeah, Pipcorn is definitely one of the the brands I noticed at Expo West that really stood out in my mind. Just the the things that they were doing with their their packaging and their their flavoring profiles was was pretty interesting. Back to the fancy food show, you mentioned that there were five yeah. five trends. Uh, Americans finding their taste buds being one of them. Uh, yep. are, are there any others that come to mind? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's it's so funny that plant waters is really coming into vogue. And that's kind of like a, a head scratcher at first when you hear it. But plant waters are basically any waters that are derived from plants, essentially. So pretty simple once you kind of understand the context. So watermelon water is a great example. The watermelon water is a little bit more juice than anything. But you're seeing now maple water. So maple water is you basically tapping the tree, but not for its sap. So not during the seasons where it's producing that. And so you're getting this water that is infused with certain um, compounds that are beneficial to the human body. Cactus water is really huge right now. Birch water. It's just really, really fascinating. There's like these these different types of products that are being pulled from nature rather than just from a stream or from a, a spring source. So they're still trying to figure out their positioning of like, what is it that they offer? Is it a unique mineral blend? Is it a high in antioxidant? Is it uh, polyphenols? But it's a it's a place that's really starting to find some traction and definitely starting to to grow a bit within both the beverage space and the specialty food space. And I think the concept around Americans finding their their taste buds and and plant waters becoming a little more prevalent, there's probably different underlying factors that are causing either of those things, but just gut feel. I know you guys are do do research behind your your design and and branding, but could you give a gut instinct as to to why that those trends might be emerging? Well, you know, the the Americans finding their kind of taste buds is a little bit easier, just pointing to different regional influences. So whether that's sort of Mexican food in the Southwest and other areas or Asian cuisine coming into Vogue ramen. So I think that stuff's a little easier to pinpoint. The the plant waters it's a little more. I think it's a little bit more difficult to really pinpoint where is that inspiration coming from. You're getting to a place where water is now finding this premium tier with alkaline waters and pH waters and antioxidant waters, all of these sort of boosted functional water products. And in a lot of ways, food and beverage in general is returning to the source, getting as close to the origin of food as possible. And as we do that, people are looking to plants to see what else they can sort of um, provide people. And it just so happens that we all need to drink water. These plant waters are low in sugar, so they're hitting on these trends. And I think people are really searching out kind of natural functionality rather than infusing it like a vitamin water. So, you know, that that might be some of the reasons, but um, there's a lot smarter people on the subject than I am, sure. <laughs> so was there any just being in the industry, you've got a, a great pulse on just what's going on in, in CPG and in natural products in general. Is there were there any brands that you saw that it was it was a comprehensive approach to both design the the displays the booths that they had and just the overall presentation of of the brand that that stood out as wow that's a strong presentation. 
Yeah, there's um, JC's Pie Pops. <laughs> so here's a company, JC's, that really focuses on kind of uh, ice cream and novelties. So they have these kind of um, super indulgent cake pop frozen desserts. And they're coming out with ice cream pints now and scoops. But they had a, they have just a very high level of polish to the brand. They've been around for a while. Their booth was looking phenomenal. You can uh, search one of the photos to the Dropbox link. And and they, they just had their presentation really well put together. What we're finding is at these trade shows, there are certain areas where it's more just tabletop presentations rather than full-on booths. And that's an entryway for a lot of emerging brands. And those those emerging brands, they don't they they can't really jazz up a tabletop. You get like a table skirt, and that's about it. But what we find is that their presentations continue to improve in overall branding and design throughout the years. I think there's just a just a real kind of renaissance of understanding the power that design has on a business. And so people's presentations right out the gate are pretty pretty strong. And we were seeing that a lot actually in kind of another trend that we were seeing at the show of just America's infatuation with caffeine. So with the adventation of cold brew as a unique sort of processing, most people are familiar with cold brew coffee. And you're also starting to see that really infused into the tea world too. So there's cold brewing tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for instance, there was a brand called SunUp that's doing green coffee, which was really, really interesting. It's kind of a merger of the coffee and tea world where they're taking coffee beans, which are always green before you roast them. And instead of roasting them, they basically steep them in water, which infuse the water with their natural caffeine. So in a 16 ounce can, it drinks like a tea, but it has 285 milligrams of caffeine. Wow. Yeah, pretty interesting product. And uh, there was a sparkling yerba mate soda which was cool. So you're taking yerba mate, you're infusing it with carbonation and you're sweetening it. And that was a really interesting product. That was a brand called White Label that was owned by uh, a guy in New York City that has a history of like kind of nightclubs and promoting. So it took a very kind of interesting design and branding approach to speak to his target audiences. And Wandering Bear, another cold brew coffee client of ours out of New York City, they typically do coffee on tap so think of boxed wine so it's a bag of coffee with a tap spout in a box for fridges and stuff like that and they just came out with their first ready to drink single serve and you know i I think america is really finding its 2.0 of caffeine people are really interested in cold brew and not only that but nitro and there are a number of products like that there, all with a high degree of polish and branding that's interesting yeah the the green coffee just looking through the Dropbox link is one of the things that immediately stood out to me. So that's that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, they're they're a really cool one. And then if I had to bring up another, I think we have two sort of noteworthy trends left. One is um, free from equals full of. And what I mean by that is, so the free from category. So initially people think of just gluten-free, right? It's free of gluten. And there are certain brands out there like in Enjoy Life Foods, that's free from like the top 12 allergens in every single product that they create. But you're, you're seeing a lot of um, companies really focus on one type of product. So whether that's a plant-based ice cream, right? So it's made from coconut milk or almond milk. Typically in the past, you know, breads that were gluten-free were horrible. And, no, you know, no one 
unless they were celiac, would eat those. And now we've gotten to a place where their formulations are so great, they're using ancient grains, they're finding really unique ingredients and understanding how to properly work with them that you can get amazing products. So there was like a brownie company at the show called Rule Breaker, and they've been around for maybe a year or two, but they're doing gluten-free brownies and just really decadent kind of cake-like things. And the product, you couldn't even tell. And, and that's really amazing. So to see all of these people with either food allergens or things that they think aren't good for them. Some people think, you know, we should no longer be eating dairy after a certain age or gluten or nuts or, you know, certain types of um, fruit, whatever it may be. They're finding brands that can actually deliver on the same experience, but without any of those ingredients. That's interesting. Kind of back to what you were mentioning with JC's Pie Pops, just having that that really strong presentation with with the branding, just a really hot, comprehensive and uh, airtight brand image. And I know the part of, I'm, I mean, a big part of what you guys do is is really nailing down, nailing down how a brand presents themselves on shelf. In your experience, is there anything that a brand can do to I guess I, I know there are, there's no shortcuts, but something that a brand can do to, I guess, help speed up the process of having to go through all those iterations or having that years of years of branding and history of the company. So maybe a, having a, a being a younger company with a pretty good idea of who, who they are, but not having to go through that, have that history to, to build that strong brand. Yeah, the, I think the key is one ensuring that a brand understands really who it is and what it has to offer the world. Right? If, you're, if you're coming out with a yogurt, the world probably doesn't need another yogurt. So what is it about your yogurt that's unique? Is it this kind of high in protein, low in sugar play? Is it the way in which it's made? Is it a rep- recipe from a different part of the world? Or is it just like the founder story that's such an amazing part? But whatever that story is, whatever that sh- conversation you're trying to change amongst your competition in your category, the more you can focus on that one thing, the tighter all of your branding, design, and messaging will be, right? So if you, if you can be self-sacrificing and not trying to talk about multiple things and focus on one, you'll probably execute on one thing better than you will on three, And then the other tip that we tell all of our young entrepreneurs is is that people don't read, they recognize. And that's especially true when your product on shelf for the first time and someone's just encountering your brand is uh, a picture is worth a thousand words because pictures hold so much meaning. And uh, really, really honing in on that, right, rather than trying to sell me on everything in big, loud claims or messaging uh, can be sometimes just the trick especially in a food and beverage world where people are so re- reliant upon, you know, 50% more claims or less fat or, or whatever it is, product differentiators. If you can, if you can really just get to a place and, and exude a certain mood or emotion that, that tends to work best for a lot of the young brands. And kind of going along that point of, of focusing on not only who you are, but who you really want to attract Mm-hmm. When you're when you're talking to a a young entrepreneur, or someone who's coming out with a new product, if they're wanting to appeal to a, a mass demographic straight off the bat, how do you approach that conversation? Well, we tell them don't appeal to a large demographic. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of the entrepreneurs that we're fortunate enough to work with had a void in their lives 
that they were able to find a way to fill themselves, right? So the products that weren't serving their needs and they came up with something better or they had a different spin or story on something. So our entrepreneurs created those products out of a personal need or desire and there's a good bet that there are other people out in the world just like them. So what we try to do is understand why the entrepreneur created what they created in the first place, what really inspired them, and then to focus almost back on themselves. You are your own, your best customer to begin with, and whatever it is, that world you live in, the things that you associate yourself with should be focused on in the very beginning. So, you know, if, if you're coming up with a cricket protein powder because you're paleo but also want to limit, you know, meat consumption – then I would look to the people around you, look to the environment. How did you get to the place that you got and find a way to reach similar-minded people? Once you kind of get that and gain a little bit of traction, then you can figure out what are the other things that you can uh, do to alter your messaging that might relate to a larger demographic. But you really got to get those strong loyalists up front. Yeah, I think that's that's really solid advice, but also really hard news to break to someone who thinks that their product <laughs> is going to be go to ma mass scale immediately to the critical masses. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it happens, but you know, every overnight success that you see in the food and beverage industry has actually been in work for, you know, years at a time. So um, it's a slow grind, but that's what that's what really makes a a brand have a sense of longevity and ultimately worth in, in exit strategy. So whether it's being purchased by someone else or private equity coming in, they're looking for brands that have a true, authentic story. And any flash in the pan is probably not going to make it over the long haul. And speaking of acquisitions, I'm sure the the recent <laughs> acquisition of, of Whole Foods was a, a pretty big shock to the industry and just to to business in general. So how how have your clients and how would you guys foresee that influencing what you're doing and, and uh, just the industry in general? Yeah, um, some people are, are really worried about it. Some people are scared. Uh, some people think it's a bad thing. I tend to take an optimistic approach. Amazon is a trailblazer, just as Whole Foods is. And I think that a lot of the kind of pioneering aspects are a shared piece of DNA amongst the two brands. Uh, if anything, I think Amazon will help Whole Foods be a part of the democratization of natural and organic food. And what you've seen over time is Whole Foods struggles with Kroger and Safeway and Costco and Walmart being able to offer organic to their consumers at amazingly low prices. And um, it's really started to commodify all of that. And so what does Whole Foods stand for as a brand if they are not a part of that commodification, that uh, democratizing aspect? Well, now they have a real opportunity to play that role. Um, and not just be this higher end, inaccessible, somewhat exclusive brand for, you know, people that can do SoulCycle five days a week in New York City. Uh, <laughs> you know, clearly that, that's not the only consumer that they have. But I think Amazon will be able to really help them become much more efficient. And, you know, Amazon has a, a really interesting culture. I think some things will be good for Whole Foods, but they also need to learn from Whole Foods. Like any great acquisition... Justin's Nut Butter, for example, Hormel bought them, right? You're talking about the maker of Spam. <laughs> um, 
and under any other circumstance, that would be a bad acquisition because they would kill everything that makes Justin's unique. But Hormel understands that Justin's needs to be left alone to a certain degree. I think if Amazon can recognize that Whole Foods culture and its people need to feel like they can thrive within uh, their own environment, then Amazon can respect that and and provide all of the the great tools of scale, essentially. So I'm I'm excited. I think it's going to be great. I'm excited to have groceries delivered to my house so I don't have to go. <laughs> that's that's what I'm most excited about. Via but, drones. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm excited for that part, but <laughs> if it gets there in 30 minutes, then uh, I guess I guess we can yeah, deal yeah. with it. Sure. <laughs> so do you think there will ever be a, a point where customers are coming to you and saying, I need these to fly off the shelves of Amazon before off the shelves at, uh, at a typical grocery or retail? It's actually one of my favorite conversations to have right now because I'm still trying to wrestle and the agency is still trying to figure out what does the future of food look like. One of the really key parts of our branding agency is understanding the role of competitive design. So in no other design industry, whether that's advertising, corporate identity, print, web, UX, UI, when you're building those brands, they kind of exist in their own vacuums to a certain degree. Only in the food and beverage world, CPG really at large, can Coke sit right next to its number one competitor, Pepsi, and vie for a consumer at the exact same time. And that's a, that's a, that's a huge change in the philosophy of how you, how you create brands and, and communicate to consumers when you're having to compete. And uh, not just direct competitors, but anything for that share of stomach, essentially, or share of occasion. So the grocery store has always created a competitive environment. And if you remove that physical limitation from the branding process and from these food and beverage companies, because now they they live online primarily in a lot of e-commerce worlds, you go to a website or you go to Amazon and you've got all of the information, all of the claims, all of the benefits written there in the copy on the web page. So they don't need to exist on the packaging anymore. In some regards, that frees up the packaging to be so much more expressive and unique. I get really, really excited about thinking what we can do with a brand uh, that doesn't have to deal with the limitations of a shelf. And so how can you tell a story? You know, We're also in an age where digital printing is really coming into play. So how can each pack change? How can it change online? How can it use... Um, consumer data to shift for a specific person you know what if you're selling diapers and you know a young mother who has twin girls um, sees a packaging that suddenly has you know I don't know twin twin babies on a on a piece of diaper packaging or something that just feels much more relevant to her rather than to the masses as a whole so it's an exciting time I think there are a couple of really great examples of brands. Dirty Lemon is one of my favorite. Their e-commerce platform is really, really interesting. It's actually, you can only buy it via text message. It's a super cool platform. And if you look at their packaging, it is so anti-product claim and point of difference communication and all of that stuff. It's just this beautiful object that you that you really want to like have associated with you as you're out in the world. And... I think it opens up a lot more creative freedom. Yeah, that is a perspective that I didn't really consider as far as uh, you can basically create art on a package and not have to worry about the 
all the claims that need to be included because of the the, uh, the limitations of, of when it's presented on shelf. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, the, the big part will be around follow through. So I make a purchase off of Amazon and that product arrives to me. Now the role of the packaging is not to sell someone up front, but to reinforce their purchasing behavior. So I, you know, I don't, I'm a big sneakerhead, and I don't know if you've ever had a pair of Allbirds purchased online, but when they come to you, the opening up experience is amazing and really instills a sense of excitement. You know, you think of like the beautiful presentation of an iPhone, and um, I think food and beverage can learn a lot from that. So that when you do get that box of cereal or that delivery of wine or whatever it is, you allow for experiential design to sort of take over. Yeah. And I think you see a lot of the subscription box services like Birchbox does a really great job of that. Like every single, every, there's so much thought put into every single package that it, and just the design is phenomenal and, and so different in every month's, every month's package. It's, I think the, the trend, especially for e-commerce is definitely going and is headed that direct or is already in that direction. So that's another interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting stuff. So uh, do you guys have any, any projects that you've been working on recently that you're particularly excited about? Oh man. That you are allowed to talk about? (laughs) Yeah. Um, we certainly can't talk about certain things until they're out in public. Trying to think about what maybe just debuted at the show. Um, you know, we got to work with, um, blueprint the amazing juice brand and launch their apple cider vinegar drinks and that's a really interesting space kind of a, a trend in, in itself but so these drinking vinegars are pretty cool so you know helping build a line extension for them was great i continue to be really excited about our work with dogfish head our craft beer client out of uh delaware and they have a new seasonal beer line coming out and we're actually shifting the emphasis from seasons to something a little bit more, uh, a, a little broader, but also a lot more creative inspired. So really looking forward to launching a number of new beers with those guys because craft beer is such an interesting place. And, and and these clients are just phenomenal people to work with. Sam and his whole team are, are really cool. Um, and then I think lastly, we're working on a, a pretty interesting product in a very bleeding edge category. We're working with these two awesome entrepreneurs from Boston and India, and they are coming out with this product called Makana. And Makana is basically a popped water lily seed. So they're bringing this uh, sort of Indian snack to the United States for the first time. And, and that's tough when you're having to both educate consumers at the same time as creating a product. It, it'd be different if we're doing a popcorn. So... I think look out for that at uh, Expo East in Baltimore here in September. Interesting. I definitely, I definitely will. So uh, I typically have some some wrap up questions for each of our guests, but since you've already been on the show and you've answered those <laughs> already, um, I, I definitely want to. I, I meant saw that you had uh, posted something about the recent statistics you'd gotten back or uh, sales metrics from Dogfish Head on. Uh, the, just some outstanding increase in, in sales after your your packaging redesign. So congrats, first of all. And second of all, is there anything in particular in that process that you can look back on and and say, this could have been one of the, the deciding factors of why that, that was so successful? Yeah. So, you know, year over year, I think they have seen a 17% increase in sales 
in the same same markets and then just in q1 of this year they've seen a 20 percent increase so wow. they're doing some amazing stuff i mean you know branding and packaging is just one of the stars that has to align for a brand to be successful so we're certainly not the only ones that can take credit for that they've increased distribution they've gone into a number of new states they continue to put out amazing product sam constantly is out in front of the uh the retailers, distributors, overall beer community, just being an evangelist for what he and the, the entire craft category is doing. But, you know, I, I attribute our work to just really representing what makes the brand so unique in the first place. They have such a unique story. And in a day and age where so many of these craft breweries are being bought up, they lose, a, they, their stories are tarnished a little bit, right? You still have the roots, but they're not run by the founders. You know, Anheuser-Busch owns them. The stories change a bit. And so we're just really fortunate to continue to have Sam at the helm of the brand that reinforces the visual story we tell itself every day. So it, it's it's really about focusing on the art and creativity of beer through the use of ingredients. Every beer tells a different story. Every story is consumed in a different way. And uh, we, we're just very fortunate to sort of help bring a lot of those to light. So whether that's you know, uh, Apollo Santo, where that whole story is around this really unique wood that is brought over from Uruguay just to create a really unique finish as these beers kind of age uh, to a Midas touch. You know, every, every beer has a story. And so, you know, I think uh, the authenticity of that and then the ability to design something authentic to it was important. It's so easy to get caught up in design trends these days, but the more you lean into trends, the more you start to look like everything else. And especially as you're a bigger brand and you're in more places, you're going to find a lot more lookalikes. So we, we really tried to just find our own unique DNA. That's great. Well, Fred, it's always a pleasure catching up with you and I appreciate you on behalf of all of us listening and, and talking right now. The legwork that you put in for Fancy Foods and going and doing the research and, and uh, relaying what you guys are seeing and and kind of synthesizing that that information down into into these uh tidbits of of trend information that you're, you're sharing with us so thanks again for coming on the show absolutely thanks for having us um you know we'll be doing it all over again for expo east in baltimore so hopefully uh we'll see you there if not we'll have plenty more pictures and uh you know looking to just help all the entrepreneurs out there well sounds like a another episode and uh <laughs> i know that uh I'm sure all this information was in your first first interview, but where's the best place for people to go find out more about Interact and what you've got going on and the content you guys are putting out? Yeah, I would say Instagram, Interact Boulder. That's the handle. It's the greatest way to see kind of what we're up to. You know, myself and especially Blake travels all over the world, seeing all sorts of different things. So it's just a really fun way to sort of track some of our, our vision and explorations in the food world. So definitely follow that. Awesome. Well, we'll link that up in the show notes. And uh, until next time, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Alex. Have a good one. Hey, guys. I hope you learned a little something in our chat with Fred today. If you're new to the podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe button because we've got plenty of great episodes coming up that you will not want to miss. Thanks again for listening, and I will catch you all next week.